Hi, I'm Emma Cousin, an artist in South East London, and I started this podcast to keep us artists in touch under this strange pandemic period. I wanted to talk to other artists about the impact on the artistic community to explore what's changed, what's been lost, and what might have been discovered. In this episode, Olivia Bax and I chat about the weather, the weight of it, and the frustration of it. We talk about her show, Off Grid, at Standpoint Gallery, and the delays caused by lockdown in March, and what this afforded and affected. Olivia talks about researchers' process, and we discuss the pace and rhythms of the studio. Olivia talks about her steel armatures, her doodles, and her drawing in space like it's a notepad. She speaks about breathing life into the linear, the excitement of making things solid, and remaining in the process. We talk about colour, moving through the different tones of a mountain to cold chips. We explore Olivia's finding of colour, both from found off and discarded paint, and through layering, as well as talking about hands and fingers, pulp and state changes. Olivia describes the battle of making, the slapping and the weight and being a putter. We ruminate on the idea of dialogues with the back of the work and think about what the inside is doing. Olivia touches on the short stories she writes, published in Yellowfields, and where some of these stories spark from. We consider objects that mean more than one thing and do more than one thing, such as filter and funnel. We consider theatrical pieces, starting with a tabletop resting place and sculptural relations. We think about restriction as a device to adapt and react to and reflect on how Olivia personally extends herself. We end on adjusting pace, prioritizing and the joy of being introverted, but with friends and cake. Thank you for joining us for Chats with Artists Under Lockdown. Hello, Olivia Bax. Hello, Emma Cousin. How, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm good, actually. I'm, I'm fine, considering it's been the most horrible weather for the last week, which I think is <laughs> a bit... makes you tired, doesn't it? The, the lethargic, rainy weather. Mm, it's so true. Yeah. How, I was, how are you feeling? Uh, well, I was, I was thinking about this idea of being under the weather um, ah. <laughs> this morning, <laughs> um, which is interesting. Yeah, just the feeling of like everything being sort of, I think there's so much uh, rain <laughs> that there's like a dampness. So it's almost, I feel like I'm damp inside my, my head and my ears and my nose. And it's really curious, but I'm sort of trying to be interested in it rather than um, fighting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that too, that it, it kind of zaps your energy though, doesn't it? And I'm not, even though I like the idea of staying in all day and watching films, it doesn't, it's not, it's not really very that's natural <laughs> for me anyway. No, that's so true. And I'm also feeling a bit frustrate, frustrated because I also love the rain and I like seasons, I like changes in weather, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's disappointed me because normally the whole point is it then changes to something else. <laughs> but this yeah. relent, relentless rain is a bit different. Well, maybe it's because we just had such a long period of good weather as well. Mm-hmm. That's just a, such a British introduction, isn't I it? Like, I love the fact we're talking about weather already. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I think that's I think that's what it is. That it's it feels a bit cruel because we've just it was like twenty five degrees or something last week, and now I'm sitting here in long johns and a roll neck jumper, <laughs> and I just can't find any shoes that don't let in water so I'm getting very <laughs> wet socks everywhere I go it's really horrible <laughs> but I love these descriptions because it uh, we'll get into this idea of restriction or like uh, limits or different things challenging um you know kind of practicality mm. and function um but I think you're also talking about something to do with emotion like the emotions that you work from um and I suppose at this weird time as well in terms of like shifting through like different rules of six and masks mm. and all these kind of things um I was just wondering how you're feeling about those things as well as the seasons shifting and and the emotions that you work from is like is this sort of a very kind of useful <laughs> thing in a way that kind of emotional space yeah or- um it's it's a funny time just now isn't it because it feels like we're right back at March again mm. you know when things are happening but we're not quite sure how 
anybody's going to react or what what the rules will be going forward or you know and everywhere in the country is in a slightly different have slightly different sets of parameters so I'm spending a long time looking at what's happening in Scotland where my family is but also in the north of England because my show is going to be touring there soon and mm-hmm. um it's I guess it's nobody knows yeah <laughs> so I do I find myself getting quite frustrated with uh people who aren't wearing their masks properly or um well that's it really actually people aren't wearing their masks <laughs> properly seem to be really irritating me only because you just feel like oh you're just everybody's gonna ruin it for everyone else if they don't just start paying attention and respecting other people and it's always quite sad seeing other humans not behaving correctly isn't it? <laughs> I sound like a school prefect or something but yeah, it's, um, yeah so I think I'm feeling a bit a bit frustrated actually yeah. is a good word yeah yeah I think that's that's interesting and I and there's something about whether about the rain this, this sort of line repeated if you said cartoon rain that I, yeah I yeah funny. but like um, everything you can channel it in your in the studio can't you and true um get it out in different ways so at least well you and I both have our own self-contained studio spaces which I think is quite lucky because it means you can lock yourself in and not have to worry about mm. anything the outside world which is quite nice <laughs> yeah no totally that's that's very true you close the door and you're inside so yeah exactly um, but with the show because obviously it is touring but it's had to kind of begin or or even well it was delayed for instance because mm. of covid and then it's the show at standpoint and it's the mark tanner prize it's a big deal um you make all this incredible work and it's big work and it's you know it's sort of like throwing everything at it and then it's held for a while and then it came out eventually it's and now the show's opened really excitingly mm. and now it'll be touring and i just wondered if you could speak a little bit about that and what's been happening with the show off grid and um kind of because it feels like it had to go off grid for a while and then it's it back it on did. grid or something so it's sort of <laughs> interesting because it starts to speak to different things but the ways the galleries are adapting and the things that you've maybe gained and lost from exhibiting in that way or that or going through that experience um well I actually felt quite lucky about the delay it's in in hindsight anyway um <laughs> which I know lots of people probably didn't feel about exhibitions so I I feel almost a bit guilty for admitting it but um, the show was meant to open in May and while I I would have obviously got the the work done I was (laughs) feeling um, I definitely was feeling the pressure of time and I remember in my head thinking okay I've got about a month left here and the work could was still at a place where it could kind of go anywhere which is always the best but it's really exciting when it's like that Mm. but I was sort of aware that I was going to have to rein it in and make some decisions because it actually takes quite a long time for my work to dry so unless I've made those decisions and given enough time for for the work to dry Mm. then I I would have been stuck so I was I was really feeling I was feeling the pressure and then everything started happening really quickly and in my head I thought oh this is great this might give me just an extra couple of weeks (laughs) without without appreciating at all um you know what the what the reality was Mm. and I remember when Emma Kelly phoned me who's um the coordinator of the prize and works for Standpoint and she was she said you know we're thinking let's just push it right back to September and I was thinking that's a bit much you know <laughs> come on it could be it could be it could be the month a month after or something and um but actually when I when she explained the reasons from the gallery point of view it completely made sense and mm. obviously they wanted the show to start in London and then tour to the other venues not to start somewhere else and then come to London which also made sense so mm-hmm. then I, I think I just felt a real sense of relief because actually the work then changed um, and I had the time and I could sit with it again. Um, and I think as a result, that certainly the, the biggest piece in the show called Kingpin definitely went somewhere else. And um, I felt like I'd pushed it then as far as it was going to go. And, and that felt great that I was I had the time to do that. And I guess the prize is all about giving artists or sculptors time and resources. But for me actually only really came at that point where 
I didn't have to show the work at the point that I was meant to yeah Uh, so it was positive yeah it's interesting that because I think it could um I mean I guess from my own experience it can go both ways that idea of gap it can Mm. be something that's quite daunting or overwhelming and it can be a bit crippling sometimes if the work's ready and then there's also that thing of like what does that mean either you know like yeah um, there's, there's something nice I think I think now I'm learning that my favorite part is the bit before a show you know when when, <laughs> yeah, when you know it's when you know it's ready so you don't have the anxiety of if it's going to work or if it's how it's going to look but you know the the world hasn't seen it yet even though obviously the world is not seeing these shows but, you know <laughs> you know before you you kind of release it it's quite I find that bit in a way the most uh calming part mm-hmm. because then when when it leaves the studio then then it's out isn't it in the world <laughs> and you can't yeah. make excuses for it anymore <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you can't convince yourself that it you know that the certain things are or aren't happening so yeah that's interesting um I'm also interested in that that um you went straight or it felt like you went straight back to the studio immediately and you were making something else as soon as the work left mm. I mean maybe it wasn't immediately but very quickly afterwards I think it probably was immediately I think that's 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 something I really have to address. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is it? Because I was asking, I was wanting to ask you about that. If that's because it seems to me, as an outsider, I was sort of quite jealous of that. Like, oh my gosh, she's that. She's, and it's not just you were in there fiddling around with like a little maquette or a drawing or a, not that any of that is lesser. But it was yeah. like straight back into a into a full, interesting, crazy kind of testing sculpture again. In this, mm-hmm. that was also moving things a bit. Um, which we'll come on to la- maybe later um, but just that idea of gaps and research and and kind of jumping straight back in so you just said then it's something you need to address <laughs> so how do you feel about that rhythm well I just I mean I, it's just sometimes it would be nice to to have a bit more of a break maybe but I, I think it's just it's just my personality I, I can't um, sort of stop myself I think um but I, I guess I guess most artists who have kind of process or material led practices, it's it's the research is can only really happen in the studio when you're making. So mm-hmm. the idea of having a, a gap, um, it doesn't really it can't really happen unless I do go away and go off grid <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually I don't, and I can't get to the studio, then then I feel like I can slow down. But when when the studio is there, I almost I can't I can't resist really I think that's Mm -hmm. um but actually having said that I I did I did need to go back because um I've got a two-person show with Hannah Hughes who you've had on this podcast yeah um opening at Sid Motion Gallery in November so I really had to get that work sort of further along Mm. so there was an urgency I guess in terms of a deadline um and now that work's uh finishing I am thinking it would be nice to restart, go back to the beginning and think about drawing again. Mm. So I, I guess everything goes on a cycle and it depends mm. where I am. And maybe after the Standpoint show, I was so, um, I was still hungry for making sculpture that it didn't, <laughs> it didn't, it felt natural just to get kind of crack on. Mm. Um, That's but, interesting. And I wonder if there's an element of the biomorphic that leads to that the idea that things can keep adding on and adding on but we'll maybe talk about that separately okay um and speaking about drawing I mean it's it's amazing it's nice that you kind of see that as maybe the beginning is what you just referenced Mm. um I just wondered if you could speak about drawing because I know you've talked about drawing form in space because drawing isn't necessarily done on a paper a piece of paper although you do that as well this idea of the steel armature coming from drawing um so what um I guess what is that relationship and if that is the beginning what is the difference in feeling um in that moment is that still like material led or is it more to do with like studying or reading and then coming in and imagining forms or finding forms in space with draw with drawn line in space um yeah I think it is a it is definitely drawing in space and I think the steel that I use because it's so thin it's very easy to manipulate myself with my hands or with my small vice in the studio mm. so I always describe the steel armature stage as drawing in space because it is very similar to doodling in in a notepad 
mm. or drawing on paper. And I think I've mentioned to you before, Emma, that lots of my doodles are always linear. So it feels quite easy to translate from drawn line to steel in space. Mm. And and steel is such a easy material to cut up and reuse that you can st I, I feel like I can start without any sort of formulaic plan but also mm. if, if it doesn't go wrong or if it doesn't work it really doesn't matter it's so easy to restart and to cut up and rework so yeah and I, I think I think drawing is at the base of most people's work but mm. maybe other people just talk about it differently but when you're mentioning things like research and um, the beginning stage it's the the drawing's always there but it kind of continues throughout mm. the whole process it's it has yeah. to be somewhere I have to always remind myself where the early drawing started even though it, it can it often turns into something completely different yeah and it's interesting you say doodle specifically because it's almost like the hierarchy of how we define these things for ourselves gives us a sense yeah. of like lightness or importance or gravitas or whatever in the work so it's it's definitely I love the word doodle because yeah. I, I just think it's so much more realistic to how I mean I, I definitely wouldn't call those early notepad works drawings you know I wouldn't mm. I would probably never show them to anyone they're quite embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> but doodles or sketches they allude to the idea that they're they're not for anything in particular mm. just a way of getting out ideas quickly and yeah, that's why that's why they're a doodle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love the word doodle. Um, it mm. sort of has a real physicality too, which is um, exciting as a word. Um, but you have also sort of there's something like it reminds me of doodoo, like the idea of a word that's funny, almost comical, it means mm. different things, and and it has emotion. Like doodle feels as if it's still being made or it's been interrupted, or and there's a lightness to those drawings that you've pinned up because often those. There are some of those pinned or like mm. around the studio, That's not true. displayed, yeah. but like as a sort of maybe a punctuation or I don't know if they if you see them like linguistically like that. Yeah, they it's maybe slight laziness as well. I sort of pin up <laughs> things that's, that I'm interested in and then I forget to take them off and then they get buried in more pin ups of different drawings and doodles and yeah. sketches. So, um, yeah, they are, there is a lightness. They're there to remind me of things obviously um yeah. <laughs> and this to the studio wall is the best place for that so you're confronted by them yeah um and I, I a while ago now I had a I decided to stop taking photographs of on my phone because I think I was becoming very lazy at seeing things or forms or places that interested me and then taking a picture with my iPhone mm. and then I stopped doing that for a while. I've I've become I've started doing it again. I should stop, but and <laughs> instead, you know, doing a doodle of what it was that I was looking at oh. that I liked, which actually is is much better because then you realise what it is you're you're doodling straight away, and and mm. then you can start to think about what it is about that that's catching my eye or is a point of interest. That's so interesting because it's almost like having to. Um be a bit more disciplined to just to explain to yourself or understand in a deeper way in order to then describe definitely thing. definitely yeah. because and people often say oh what what is it particularly that you've been drawing and I can list them but <laughs> but you know it's only until you draw them that you realize that actually these objects are actually quite similar and maybe mm. they're all connected and it could be something really simple like just the way that they're made or the engineering Mm. Um, but then some something about having to translate it on paper rather than just taking another image makes mm. you consider those things and what they might mean yeah no that's really interesting um I mean I, I've just googled doodle <laughs> <laughs> oh what phrase. came up and um <laughs> it's so at the well you know scribble absent-mindedly and a rough drawing made absent absent-mindedly but I I quite like the idea of something being absent um if, in the mind um to make that possible mm. and it it kind of takes me to this idea of um the positive negative or some idea of like line versus solid mm. um in your work which is kind of continually present and it's sort of two questions in one but I was looking at the show off grid and considering 
the armature that you leave really bare, which feels like a drawing kind of language, and that you've kind of gone, oh, you then go off grid, if that's mm -hmm. the grid, with the kind of material matter, um, potentially. So I guess my question is something to do with line versus solid and this mm -hmm. idea of the two things juggling or sitting or applying pressure on one another continuously, because we can see both at the same time, which is sort of uh, quite unusual, I feel like. Yeah, um, I always think that the that when I start to turn the linear into solid, that's when the work comes to life or gives it its character. And I really like getting lost in that process where you forget where the line started. So the inside becomes the outside and the outside becomes the inside. Mm. And it is important to, I think what I mentioned before about how drawing is, is the root, but it does have to sort of remain in the process at all times. That for me is keeping the line exposed is sort of reminding me where the beginning was <laughs> in some in some way. Mm. Um, and and the it's exciting making things solid because <laughs> it's um there's something about that idea of changing something from a flat thing to a truly three-dimensional form mm. where you know you have to consider all sides but also the inside and the outside and suddenly the the options sort of open up and i find that feeling quite liberating Mm. where it could almost go anywhere <laughs> yeah um, and, and actually sorry I was going to say the beginning being the drawing and if that's constantly visible that also kind of implies that the end is constantly possibly different <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and sometimes it means that I start something and I off I mean I haven't done this for I didn't do this for off-grid but um for some pieces I was making before for a show in Milan mm. I was starting armatures and then I was feeling quite excited about all the possibilities but wasn't quite sure where any of them might go so mm -hmm. to sort of free myself up I was almost trying to replicate the same armature so I felt <laughs> like I had more yeah. options which of course in itself is almost impossible because there are no I don't set out with drawing so it's actually very difficult to replicate <laughs> anything I've made I've discovered but um, it just as a way of freeing up my own decisions so I felt like I could go off piste if I wanted to and I wasn't so afraid of making a mistake even though I'm not quite sure what a mistake would mm. look like and and I tend to try and incorporate mistakes in any case so mm. I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> no you're not, you're not at all because it, it links directly to the idea of like the, the colour being a mistake because these mm. are often like found colours or reclaimed colours so in a way that idea of freeing up decisions it's like you've not had to decide what the color is I mean you do obviously because you select yeah. 10 things but there's an element of that kind of um uh letting go or going with something that is more to do with feeling and I just wonder if that's right and if you could talk about specifically the color the paint mm. um, it's it's definitely feeling because I guess as I'm describing it's it can be overwhelming thinking you have all these options all the time you know I find I find the thought of going to a DIY shop and looking at color charts really quite alarming because how, how would you how would you start you know it's too there's too much choice yeah. <laughs> and unless you sort of start limiting yourself well I find it can be too overwhelming to to start pinning things down mm. so um the recycled paint or the discarded household paint um, it did come out of I started using it when I was a student because they're so cheap and paint mm. is so expensive but now it's become a really great way of narrowing down some options <laughs> and there's so, there's still a huge choice because I can't believe how much paint gets mixed wrong or I guess people change their mind what they want their bathroom to be um, and and obviously with that I still have to go with feeling like you said mm. about what I think might work and what what I don't think would work mm. and um, I mean with with off grid I was very inspired by Scotland actually the kind of the sort of the to different tones on a mountain for instance and I saw that pinky purple that became the color of kingpin quite early on um, when I was when I had started the work so I started collecting those sort of tones and then from there it's when I've got one set I find it then easier to to sort of make decisions based on 
on that one colour. So then I was thinking about Heather and how many different tones of purples and pinks, which became the grill works, which I think you described as chips. Did you? <laughs> Can't um, remember. Off chips or something. Well, yeah, it's interesting because we sort of feel like they're in transition, these colours. So Kingpin felt like a bruised raspberry, yeah, bruised like being that. like a, something that is unfolding or exposing itself or being revealed or hidden. And then something of a going off quality of mm. the browning pink in grill, in the grill pieces. Um, and I like that going off because paint often is discarded because it's going off. So I was quite interested in that. Like, does it stink ever? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's very unpleasant, actually, that smell. <laughs> yeah, it's really particular. Um, and it's and it's kind of gross. But I was interested that it leaves me with a thought. The colour kind of evokes that thought mm. or sensation. Mm. And then, I like yeah, spirits. Oh, rotten, sorry. rotten leaves are cold chips were my other that two. That was it. That was it. <laughs> rotten leaves are cold chips. Yeah, I liked very good descriptions they were nice but the, um, the bruising I particularly liked and I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that because Kingpin's really the first sculpture that I started thinking about different tones in one work and partly because it was so big I couldn't just get away with sort of one five litre reused household paint I had to collect a lot to cover that sort of surface mm. so I, I started to try and think about how I could use the different tones in the undulations of the work and so much of it's about propping and holding and supporting that in some bits I was wondering how that would look if the work had been bruised or battered in a place and, and I was using slightly darker tones in those sections so mm. I think colour is so emotive yeah. and it's the it's such a kind of it's the instant way of creating a mood or a feeling and I think that's why I've always light colour and I use it because um, again talking about giving these things a character it's all part of its makeup in the end and the feeling that they can they hopefully give people when they look at the work. Mm. And it's interesting that part of that feeling is also your fingers um, mm. because the way that the paint is applied is with the material of the the, the uh, paper mache pulp. Exactly um, yeah. So then it becomes, I think what's so interesting to me is that I can see you as well, like in terms of not you, Olivia Bax, I can see the finger, <laughs> you know, so the cold chip is also the finger, <laughs> is also the sculpture, is also the paint, you know, it's sort of this like undoing of everything and opening it up while still remaining um, a new language. Um, and I just wondered about that kind of that specific technique and then I guess where you're satisfied because <laughs> I feel like it, it was like cooking you know you mess <laughs> around with the top of it and icing a cake and the more you kind of make it flat the kind of worse it gets yeah <laughs> and there's something nice and there's a perfect balance where something looks really kind of authentic I don't know <laughs> I don't know if cooking's relevant but I just wondered about the idea of the hand and your hand and the mark of the hand and the finger yeah it's de it's it's definitely relevant I like that idea of reworking something and I think I do that all the time I do that when I draw I do that when I make sculptures um I remember when I was at school I used to do it with with text you know you're told our highlight sections that are important so you can remember them I would take that so seriously and then I'd finish the book and I'd practically highlighted the entire book which completely <laughs> defeated the purpose but the idea of going over things to mm -hmm. kind of uh to think about them or to memorize them and the hands the hand marks have become a bit like that but they're also they're not they're not sort of arbitrary they are mm. how I've had to apply the material so I guess they give a bit of an insight of where I was around the work and how I how I was sort of pressing the very liquid pulp onto these armatures and it's often a bit of a battle because bits fall off and then sections become too heavy. So I'm sort of running around these forms <laughs> trying to slap this material back on and just hoping that they dry in time to become hard so that I can, I can use them as parts. So I, I can't remember all of the parts to your question, but I hope that, <laughs> I hope that answered some of it. <laughs> no, I, love, I just love that description. It, sounds like a, it does sound like slapstick. You know, there's... there's yeah. There's gorgeous words that you use, which we wouldn't necessarily think about. So I think that's really amazing. I also really like that idea of running your, because you first described the colour as landscape, as like mountain tones. So the idea of running your hands across a landscape and maybe digging your hands into the landscape to kind of evoke memory 
is a really beautiful connection. Definitely, and discovering because that's how we work out how things are made and what their properties are. It's it's often with our hands. Mm. So, yeah, the the kind of the hand marks are me also working out what the hell I've made. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Maybe that's why that last bit is so exciting because it's the when it's dry, the hand can go over where the hand was or something. Mm. Really amazing muscle memory. Yeah. Um, I think that brings me to this idea of um, archaeological because often the works feel um, like an archaeological dig or you don't you're not quite sure if they've been dug out or if they are the dig or if they are the thing to be dug so this idea of humanly exposing and in some areas mechanical um, a bit more like you're showing us under the hood or you're kind of feeling inside a pocket or kind of opening something up for us to peer into briefly mm. um I'm thinking uh like a sort of hot mess I guess um <laughs> I think that was my description um but I just wonder if you could speak about this inside outside full or empty methodology if that applies if I don't know if those words of what you use necessarily oh it's a it's a big question <laughs> <laughs> um the, I like the digging thing because I think that goes back to discovering or finding and I, I often wonder if, as sculptors, I always think you're either a kind of putter or you're a finder. You know, mm. you either find it natural, more natural to to add and to keep going, or to sort of or to extract. Mm. And I think I'm naturally a putter, but then mm. when I when I more recently I have been wondering when I start covering things what the other side looks like or what the inside does um is doing mm -hmm. and I think that that came at two points it came when I made a wall work called hotspot and the I I was having a real dialogue with the back of the work which then obviously couldn't be seen when it was put on the wall mm -hmm. and and I was wondering how I could make sculpture that was both back and front Mm. Um, and I think sculpture is interesting because in the end it gets documented and there's a sort of favoured view almost but yeah. but really good sculpture should be shouldn't have one view I guess it yeah. should. Um, so I think about that all the time and that relates to the inside outside or um, it maybe it's about also because it's reminding me of John Chamberlain I can't remember the piece and I'm probably not gonna be able to find it um, but he talked about this idea of going around the back of his sculptures mm. and he often named them things like, um, almost like, uh, uh, burlesque names, like really dis ambiguous from what mm. you were looking at and what you assumed it might be. So the material, and he said, you go around, you, you go around the back and then her ass is hanging out. <laughs> so I always like loved that idea that he's having a bit of cheekiness. Like it's him yeah. like having this like, oh, it's a bit naughty. Yeah. which we've never seen necessarily but I just I really like that but anyway. it's it's nice when you feel surprised by that and and I think that's more and more what I'm trying to do I I guess that yeah. you know when you look at something and you assume you can understand all the different points of view and then yeah. but, but you can't and really there's only certain shapes where that might happen like a sphere or a cone yeah but um but objects that are more complicated you can you project what you think you might see by walking around it but I like it when that surprises you exactly like that story you just mentioned yeah amazing um I love that um <laughs> so um maybe that takes us to stories um I hadn't realized really that you also write short stories and, and I have to say really good short stories I think you need to write a little book um oh, wow <laughs> but just put a bit more pressure on you um okay. But um, they are really, really exciting. And some of these can be seen in Yellowfields' publication that's coming out at the moment, uh, soon, I think. We can talk about that near the end. Um, so I just wondered if we could talk about these stories and, and you know, how they come to be written and how they might inform the work and do they happen before or afterwards and some of the themes in those stories. Mm. Well, that's that's very nice of you to say, Emma, because <laughs> I've always found, I find writing really difficult. And I think there's a certain there can be a certain amount of pretentiousness sometimes around art writing in particular. And I've always shied away from any opportunity that's asked me to write because I've, I find it difficult to reference um, sort of 
I don't, I don't want to reference highbrow theory. I want to speak honestly about where the things have come from. And sometimes mm -hmm. at that I I can feel intimidated by starting as if people might not be interested in some really mundane things that have happened that might have inspired a work. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was actually very helpful and I was commissioned to do it in March. So uh, we were already, I had started thinking about it, but then we went in lockdown and I felt like I could, I could um, have more space for thinking about what these short encounters might have done to the work. Um, and the first one was just a very short story about my dad making slow gin. Um, and it was just a, it was just a really nice moment. I think I only noticed it because the apparatus that he was using was this sort of cloth sieve mm. and he was in the kitchen and he had just made a slow gin and he had excess berries and he was saying, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I just don't want these things to go to waste. And then he was sort of running around the kitchen saying, oh, maybe it could be jelly or, you know, he, di he didn't know what, <laughs> what it was going to be necessarily. And I just thought that was such a nice moment of, of how I feel in the studio a lot of the time. Mm. That, um, I'm quite kind of proud of the fact that my material is mostly recycled. Like I pick up old newspapers, um, the paint we already mentioned. Mm. And recently lots of people give me their paperwork to shred which is nice. <laughs> um, so it feels like I'm generating more material from things that would otherwise be wasted, mm. which feels sort of reassuring in considering the world we're living in just now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that kind of desperation that my dad felt about not wanting to waste these berries, I've, I've really sympathised with. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting um, that those autobiographical things, even if they're kind of very subtle, um, mm start to be seen or experienced or felt in the work as well um I mean the idea of there being a funnel present even oh, in definitely. that apparatus yeah definitely yeah and then I think the forms sort of seep into what I'm making um quite naturally mm. and I had I had already been interested in the idea of a funnel um because mm. of be, because again like I mentioned before there's such a lot of water in the in the mixture that I'm thinking a lot about how that might evaporate mm. and that sort of funnel shape is a is a is a kind of everyday object used for filtering so I liked that dialogue and then also I also like objects that could mean more than one thing and I started thinking a lot about filtering and how now that's sort of more, more associated with the camera app or <laughs> than than the actual physical movement of water or filtering things out yeah um so yeah and that that story was was just got me thinking about so many different problems as well with the idea of keeping things and hoarding and also wanting to get rid of things so that you create more space and how in in sculpture making anything you make is reducing the potential space to make more things so that's a kind of constant <laughs> battle um and it yeah. yeah 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 and that takes us into this sort of idea of the biomorphic potentially so by, i'm talking specifically about kingpin um the piece in the show but the idea of that being sort of of many parts or potentially even many bodies that mm. then can be attached or reattached so that piece is 17 pieces um which I hadn't realised it was quite that many, which is incredible. And it's going to be quite small, to be fair. <laughs> well, some are massive. So. Some are massive yeah. and, and it's a structure that will evolve like, across the spaces. Um, so I just wondered in terms of that biomorphic quality and this essence of building or the infinite or the stopping, um, is that left a chance or feel or play or more narrative? And yeah, how did that piece begin to evolve to become 17? Um, well, with, with that particular piece it was it was sort of everything you just described <laughs> um <Undone> I, question <laughs> but I was thinking about how sculptural objects quite often or, or I mean not everybody's sculptures but m probably my sculptures preceding this one very much had maybe one central theme or idea or feeling that I was trying to convey mm. and I was 
wondering if it was possible to make a sculpture that had changing narratives or feelings or that felt like it was mutating and it wasn't fixed. So it, it, it started, I guess the prize gave, first of all, gave me the opportunity to work on something for a really long extended period of time. And I sort of started thinking, well, what happens if I make a sculpture with a tabletop that's a place to, to rest or wait? And from, from there, everything happened quite organically. I wondered what the bottom of the table might look like. So I started making holes in the section. And then I imagined, I obviously had the slow gin story slightly in my head, but I, I imagined all these, this sort of eruption of, of liquid or forms or things filtering out and generating new objects. And then from there, everything just, everything was a response to the thing I had made before, but all in one sculpture rather than making a new sculpture again. Mm. Um, so it did then literally just keep growing. And mm. I think you once asked me when it could stop and it, it actually, it just stopped when I had completely run out of space height <laughs> length <laughs> and it would have been maybe it would have been nice to have kept going but my sanity might might not have agreed because it was it did feel very overwhelming it sort of took it took over my space and my brain and <laughs> and everything else um that's so funny and it feels like that um kind of alludes to those I mean, almost like sci-fi, like, you know, where those things start to grow in a room, like Little Shop of Horrors, where that plant grows mm. in the room and then Seymour that comes back and before you know it, it's, it's out of the windows and it's taken up the whole space and you can't get it out. And <laughs> I don't know, something kind of really playful and, um, like again, material swelling, you know, this mm. idea of like states changing of the thing you're working with. As yeah, well. yeah. And it's I liked that reference because it's quite a theatrical piece of work which has become quite a muddy word in art language <laughs> but um I don't see the problem in a bit of theatre no, <laughs> yeah definitely not. especially when it's so playful I mean the idea that you could see it in different uh, configurations because I started to see things like um a shepherd's crook and I suppose some of these things talk about posture mm. as well so the idea of this piece posturing is quite fun um and having so many different potential postures within it um uh so I think I don't know I've got so many questions that I want to ask and we're running out of time okay. <laughs> so um I think I'm interested to ask this idea of um how the figures in how the the figures the um sculptures in the in the show um off grid kind of relate to each other are they relational in terms of familial like do you see them as a family of objects that kind of belong together or do they start having relationships to each other um or like ones in charge or ones I mean what oh, yeah, are they absolutely yeah I think I think most um all the recent solo shows I've had I've really tried to think about that that it's and and I I mentioned that before in the way that I choose color but for me yeah. kingpin was literally the the center king stage <laughs> and yeah. all the other and and you use the word relatives I think that's absolutely right mm. um and I guess I was I try and think a lot in terms of viewing viewing these things I talked about seeing all the different sides but also it was important to make something where you could look up so I made the ceiling piece and mm -hmm. uh, the wall works were meant to be something slightly more sober or reflective mm -hmm. and there's actually another work that's definitely a relative that sadly there wasn't enough space and standpoint to show it but it will be shown in the next tour when it goes to cross lane projects in kendall mm. um which is a sort of sculpture on wheels that it won't wheel around the space but i like <laughs> that it might it has the potential that it looks like it could kind of speak to all of the different sculptures in the show and it's also using all of a kind of wash from all of the colors that I've used for off-grid mm. and actually it also relates to another relative story I was thinking mm. of my cousin David who had a really nasty accident a few years ago and he he damaged his foot but they couldn't put a normal cast on his foot so they had to basically fix his bone from the outside mm. and I became quite obsessive with looking up this particular piece of 
armature and I learned that it was originally made with horse harnesses and bicycle parts which sort of also intrigued me mm, and Tararama piece yeah exactly and and David took a picture of this foot cage in hospital and it's been on my studio wall ever since and I feel like a lot of my sculptures have been trying to respond to that idea of, mm. of healing from the outside rather than a pin from the inside. Mm. And the last piece on wheels is a, is a homage to his poor leg. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing because I think that's actually how we first met in the first place. But anyway, we don't need to go into that. But you so, said that photo as a response to something. Oh, yeah. nice. Oh, so you've seen Great. it. You know, you know what I'm talking I have, about. weirdly. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, but I think there's two things there that, that stand out. One is this idea of mobility and um, the fact that it's on wheels, but it can't move itself. So... Mm. Uh, and they're often really hefty, but they feel like quite agile or yeah. supple, you know, kind of like stretchy. Or there's this idea of it, um, the growth, like a tendon almost as well, having a, a limit that hasn't reached yet, or perhaps it is. And yeah. um, I guess it feeds into a question because we're running out of time. Okay, <laughs> okay. Restrictions, because I think that's really key and it's something that maybe um, isn't thought about so much. But this idea of obviously we're facing restrictions at the moment, whether that's mm-hmm. facial or physical, but this idea of extensions um that feels like you're considering extensions in terms of um like formally um to build the elements with um but also limitations like it has to be out of the door or um I read about one piece you had to ship and the the height of a box or something was a li- there was a limit on the shipping so oh, yeah. you made the handle in four pieces on so some some things sort of this idea of restrictions seems like it's got a real kind of multiple relevance um mm-hmm. And I, I guess we've talked about a lot of the other restrictions that have to occur in the work. But I just wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, maybe. Yeah, it's um, it, that's another interesting parameter that I feel like you can narrow down, start narrowing down options. Mm. And you mentioned the door, but my studio door is just always such a problem. <laughs> I almost didn't get something out the other week, actually. Um, that I, I always feel like I'm really aware of how big something can be. And I always push it to the point where it almost can't work um it's but it's it's good I think because it's always challenging what I what I'm making and Mm -hmm. I guess my own height is the easiest way of describing it that I feel like I'll always try and make something where I'm extended where I'm personally extended as much as I can be and Mm -hmm. and that's also a restriction isn't it I guess Mm -hmm. um but also in terms of being in the studio, I always think that you're you're making something in a relatively confined space. But I'm hoping that when it's in an exhibition venue, it almost grows out and mm-hmm. fills voids. So the so yeah, and and now it's it's even more political, isn't it? Talking mm-hmm. about restrictions mm-hmm. and and the the work often looks like it's contained in some ways, but wanting to burst out. Yeah. So I guess I, I'm trying to use the parameters in the making as a way of talking about these feelings. And, yeah, restriction and extensions are, are definitely part of the constant battle. <laughs> Amazing. Um, OK, so um, I always end. I've got to, I've got to end, which is really sad. Um <laughs> So um, I've got. To, I always end by asking two questions, and I think on the back of that question, which is kind of sort of provided a one one answer, which is to kind of embrace the restriction as something that you can then extend from. Um, yeah. But um, the first one is just anything that's been helpful for you, kind of during this extended period, maybe especially because you're working on a show. So anything that's been helpful in that time. This is going to be really cheesy because I'm talking to you, <laughs> Emma. But I, I've actually I found the studio block just so so helpful um particularly in lockdown and it's been so great that um our studio in south east london has got a yard (laughs) and uh you and i and jp and millie and will and everybody else have always gone out and had lunch and made each other cakes and that definitely got me through the the lockdown period but it's just also so great having a community of artists that you can talk to and bounce ideas off and now I'm working with this show with Hannah who also is my next door neighbour it's just it's so great that all these brilliant artists are in the same location I find that really useful 
Mm, yeah, and I think that's really exciting because it talks about mobility and restriction, and it's a way that we found to actually mobilise each other and ourselves as well. Mm, yeah, feels, exactly. It feels very empowering and very like I don't know. Like you say it's it's a it's an energy source and yeah. uh, and a support system actually as well. Exactly. Exactly, and it, and we all made sure that we didn't weren't taking too long of a lunch break. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was always brilliant. One, someone had to call it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, and I guess the last one is because it's you know it's a long period now. Have you learned something about yourself? Um, this maybe contradicts what I've just said, <laughs> but um, I also feel like I may be more of a recluse than I I had originally thought (laughs) um I guess I really I mean I and I still do I love going to openings and um and London is such a great city Um, and I think I thought I would struggle a lot with not doing loads of things all the time and seeing lots of people actually I I kind of liked it (laughs) it was fine (laughs) yeah um but equally it's really nice that it's great seeing museums again and galleries again but I, I just mean there was something about readjusting the pace where I may, I think I realised, gosh, I was really trying to squeeze in a lot. And mm-hmm. it's nice just to take a bit of a step back and and have that time in the studio, but also kind of priority prioritise the things that you want to do and who you want to see and mm-hmm. how many places you can get to in an evening. That's been that's been really useful <laughs> mm, amazing yeah I like that so yeah um reclusive with cake and friends <laughs> yeah exactly that's all very ironic but that'll do <laughs> amazing so um Olivia's show um part of the Mark Turner Sculpture Award show Off Grid can be seen uh now until the 24th of October um and at which point it travels so it is worth looking on standpoint galleries um which is in Hoxton uh, their website for more information and Olivia's website is oliviabax.co.uk um, and also the Yellow Fields publication can you just tell us a little bit when, when that when we could read these brilliant short stories for real yeah actually there's going to be an event at Standpoint an online event on the 17th <laughs> of October um, and actually it's really worth looking at Yellow Fields's website too because uh, Georgia Hall has commissioned and worked on three separate publications and the particular one that I'm in is about sculpture, but there are other ones too. And they have all been sort of beautifully handmade by some designers in Bristol. And um, I think you can buy all three for £20 or something. So it's they, they look great. I haven't actually seen them yet, but they look brilliant <laughs> from what I can see. Um, and it was a nice, like I mentioned, it was a nice opportunity to actually think about writing and not get so scared about it. So, yeah. <laughs> brilliant oh Olivia Bax thank you so much it's been thank a, you, really exciting to talk to you